If we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Merle, I serve as lead pastor at one of the greatest churches in America. Would you agree? We love our church. Love, love, love our church. And if you're here for the very first time, uh, we're glad that you chose to worship with us, whether it's here in the building or whether it's online. In the building, if we can serve you after the service is over with, we've got some folks that'll be right at the very back of the worship center. We've got a couple of tables back there. If you want to know what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, if you want somebody to pray with you, if you have questions about the church, if you'll just make your way back there, that would be awesome. If you're online, just go to Pleasant Valley. Uh, org slash connect, and there is a communication card that you can fill out. And if you have any questions or needs, just type that in the chat box, and our uh, online host would be more than happy to serve you in any way that they can. So here's what we're going to do before I jump in the sermon. We're going we're gonna to celebrate. I'm going to talk about a serving opportunity and I'll talk about a sharing opportunity. Does that sound good to you? <clears throat> hey, listen. I've been gone for two weeks. I'm excited to be here. I'm pumped up. Coach Reed has asked me to show up and give a pep talk for the Chiefs tonight as we beat the ponies. Are we, are we, are we playing Denver? Are we playing Denver? Okay, thank you. So uh, here's the celebration. Liberty Light Show's been going on two nights. We've had almost 4,000 people show up. Yes. 26% of them are not churched anywhere. That's the reason that we do it, to be able to reach an ever-increasing number of folks for that. And if you don't know anything about Liberty Light Show, really it is a kind of a pre-evangelism thing. It's uh, to give folks a taste of Christmas and fun and um, great opportunity, would you pray, would you pray that uh, folks will listen and folks will see and it will inspire within them a desire to want to know more about Jesus? And how about giving it up for all of the staff and the volunteers who are serving Liberty Light Show? It's, uh, it's tonight and then Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night of next week. Okay, that's the celebrate. Here's the opportunity to serve. When you came in, you picked up a bulletin, did you not? Work with me, come on now. You pick this up, you pick this up, and on the inside, there is this opportunity that says, we love our city. Pleasant Valley is not only for Jesus, we are for the city, and the way that we say that we're for the city is we seek to be generous with our time and with our talents and with our resources. We have uh, four strategic partners that uh, our way of loving the city that you can look at. There you go. Uh, local partners, Hillcrest Hope, Hope Center, Love Inc., Urban Christian Academy. There are other ways that you can serve. And uh, Liberty Light Show, nursery for Christmas Eve services, blood drive, those kind of things are coming up. And so if you will tear this off, if you'll do this right now, everybody do that. I've already done it. I want to hear you. If you're online, pretend you're tearing this right here. You can go to pleasantvalley.org slash info, okay? Tear that off and then just simply put your name and address and what it is that you would be committed to doing. And as soon as you leave, if you'll put these in the offering boxes that are in the back of the worship center or on the exit at either east or west entrance, okay? Now for the sharing opportunity. Two weeks in a row, uh, pastors have been talking about a 
gratitude challenge. And the challenge was we'd like to see at least 100 families open up their homes or open up their hearts to invite either somebody over for their house or out to eat for a meal, for coffee, or for dessert. And so thus far, we've had dozens and dozens of folks who have said, yes, if you would do that, just go to Pleasant Valley slash gratitude. Let us know that you're going to do it. Karen and I were out yesterday. We talked with a young guy that we had never met before. He was helping us. His name's Kyle. Karen said, hey, why don't you come to church with us, and then we will take you to Red Door to eat. And he was like, yes. And then we talked about food for a minute. He goes, did you know that Red Door took hamburgers off the dinner meal menu? And I go, no. He goes, well, that's okay. I'll just order a steak. (laughs) And we said, sounds great to us. He couldn't be with us this weekend because he said he had to go visit his grandma in Arkansas, but we're hoping that Kyle will come back and worship with us next week, and then we'll go feed him some steak at Red Door. So encourage you to do that. You can do that, right? We can do that. Come on, Pleasant Valley. You can do that. You can do it. One of the prevalent experiences that people are encountering in an ever-increasing fashion and being overcome by, maybe more than we've ever heard about before, is loneliness. Now, we used to think that loneliness was the singles game when you're flying solo or the widow or the widower's game. But the truth is all of us can struggle at times with a sense of loneliness. You can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely on a team. You can be lonely at work. You can be lonely in school. You can be lonely in a family. You can be lonely in a a church building. Recent research from Harvard University reveals 36% of Americans experience serious loneliness. That is frequently or most of the time. So if we were going to just simply count off, every third person would be represented in this survey if we were honest to say, yeah, I have experienced maybe some significant, significant loneliness. Of that research, 61% of 18 to 25-year-olds who filled out this survey, 61% of them say we experience serious loneliness. 51% of mothers with young children experience loneliness. 41% of young adults have experienced an increase in loneliness during the COVID pandemic. COVID has just accelerated this this feeling of loneliness. And 50% of that group, this just broke my heart, reported that no one had taken more than a few minutes to ask them how they were doing so that they felt that they were genuinely interested. Half of these young adults said, I don't really think anybody genuinely cares. Now, I've experienced loneliness. I've I've had serious loneliness that I've experienced. I grew up in a family of nine, and I experienced loneliness in the family of nine. In a school where I had 52 people in my graduating class, I experienced loneliness. And part of the reason I experienced loneliness is that I wasn't like everybody at my school. I was a city slicker going to a country school 
You've probably heard me say this before. You know, they wore Wranglers, I wore big bells. They wore Tony Lama boots, I wore platform shoes. So I could be almost five foot six, I wore platform shoes. They had short hair and wore caps. I had beautiful Samson-like hair. And um, they had Wranglers with the skull in the back pocket. And so I was related to all these folks, but I didn't feel like I belonged at all. Although I knew a lot of folks, I, I, I felt like I was kind of an, uh, an outsider. I've known loneliness in, in pastoring a church. I've experienced deep loneliness as a pastor. Whether it was pastoring a church of 50 people, or whether it's been pastoring or being part of a church with 4,000 people, I've experienced that. Loneliness is real. And loneliness can be real hard. I talked with Dennis Query, who is immigrated here from Ethiopia a number of years, and he said, you were singing my song because he said, when I got here, I experienced deep, painful loneliness because I could not speak English, and so I could not connect with people. But God's grace over time has allowed me to overcome that. I think about, we've got people that are immigrating from Afghanistan. We're working with... with uh, Refuge KC, and we're trying to help them with some of their basic needs. And so you can imagine coming to a brand new country out of such a broken country. And so loneliness is real. Loneliness has a sibling, and the sibling is depression. They don't look exactly alike, but they come from the same family. God never intended us to live in perpetual loneliness. He created us in his image, so he created us to be in relationship where we connect with one another. After the creation of the world and all of the animals, God did something incredibly special. The Bible says that he brought to Adam all of the different animals that he had created to see if Adam could find within the created world a suitable helper, a suitable partner for him. And Adam could not find any suitable partner among the animals. God brought all of the animals. None of them were suitable for him, especially cats. They were not suitable. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Merle really hates cats, and so I expect this week to get this email. This is from your cat. Pastor Merle, please stop your relentless insult of cats, or I will ask for your ordination to be revoked. I know I really do like cats. I like them... I like them more than pigs. Sorry, let me gather myself here. God said it's not a good thing for loneliness to be the destiny of man, so the animals wouldn't work, so God created Eve, created woman, bone of bone, flesh of flesh. But more important than being created for relationship with people, having that capacity, and that's incredibly important. God created us with a capacity and a need for a relationship with himself. We were created to be in relationship with God. He doesn't want us to experience a kind of cosmic existential loneliness. He wants us to know that we are in a big world and he is in the world with us. He created us for that kind of relationship. In the book of Genesis, prior to what we call the fall of humanity, prior to the sin of Adam and Eve, when there developed this chasm between 
humans and God. Moses writes in a really poetic way what the common experience would have been like for Adam and Eve. It would have been God walking in the garden with them in the cool of the day. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? Having conversation, having enjoyable time with one another. The God who creates is the God who connects. The creator God is the relator God. And repeatedly, there is a promise in the Bible that is more central than the promise that says, I forgive you. And more central than the promise from God that says, I will give you life after death. And the promise is this, I will be with you. That is the most prevalent and prominent promise. I will be with you. Now, we're not going to go through all of the verses, but I want to just give you some phrases, and I want us to say these out loud. This is the promise of God. Here we go. I will be with you. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will, I will not leave you. I will never leave you. He is with you. God is with you. The Lord is with you. This is an incredible promise. It's a relational promise. It's a promise to everybody who has ever felt like they are not known. It is a promise for everybody who has felt like in a world that's got a lot of people that they are all by themselves. It's for the people who have struggled with loneliness because there has been loss in their life and so much has been taken away. It's a relational promise, but it's also a reassuring promise. For anybody who has ever had anxiety, for anybody who has ever struggled with fear, for anybody who has ever found life a little bit overwhelming at times, many of these promises are connected to people experiencing fear and having the reassurance from God, I'm going to be with you. And because I'm with you, you don't have to be overcome by fear. So it's not only a promise, but it's a great prayer of blessing that goes like this. May the Lord be with you. Why don't you look at somebody right now and just say that to them. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. What a great prayer to pray over somebody. Parents, you've got children that are facing something uncertain in their life. What if you just came alongside and you said, sweetheart, may the Lord be with you. And it wasn't just some kind of platitude. You were telling them, may the Lord be with you. I'm praying that for you. I believe the Lord will be with you. You're about ready to go interview for a job. May the Lord be with you. You're going into the hospital and you don't know what it is. And somebody says, may the Lord be with you. It's an incredibly reassuring promise. It's an incredible relational promise. But more than this great prayer and more than this great promise, I will be with you is about a person. It's about a person. If you were to examine the totality of the life of Jesus from his birth to his crucifixion and resurrection to his promise that he will come again, what you'll find is a theme going through all of that, and it is the with us God. For instance, about 700 years before Jesus was born, 
There was a prophet by the name of Isaiah who spoke of a promised one that was to come who would be known as God with us. Then 700 years later, Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, comes to understand that when you reach back into Isaiah's prophecy, you can pull that prophecy into the present when Jesus was born and say, this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah said, the one who was going to be coming sometime. And Matthew put it like this, this is the message from the angel to Joseph who was betrothed to Mary. And he's just been told, you're going to, your wife's going to have a child. Mary's going to have a child. It says this, now all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, and this is the prophecy, the virgin will become pregnant, will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated what? God is with us. So fast forward a little bit. There at the birth of Jesus, this promise that God will be with us, the with us God. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm getting ready to leave you. And here they are. They've invested three years of their life. They've left their vocations. They have been doing life with Jesus every single day, so close that the dust of Jesus' feet would get on them. They were doing life with Rabbi Jesus. And he says, I'm going away. And they start freaking out. What do you mean you're going away? And he says, I want to I calm you down a little bit and give you a reminder that I am the with us God. Listen to what he said in John 14. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are, are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. God with us. He's going to leave, but he's saying, I'm coming back to get you so that you will be with me. John the Apostle, fast forward several decades, on the island of Patmos, he receives a revelation from God about how God is going to win in the end. Persecution will not prevail. Jesus wins. And so he writes this in Revelation chapter 21. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He is the with us God. And he will live with them. The idea is he will live with us perpetually, eternally. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And what's the result of being with God in the new heaven and the new earth? He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. A great way to, divine, to define salvation in a holistic way is to say that salvation is life with God right here, right now, to be experienced 
and to never stop and never, ever end. He is the with us God. So if I've made my case that God is the with us God, if that is so, the question is, if God said, I am with you, do you want to be with him? That's really the question. He's already made the promise. He said, I am with you, but do you want to be with him? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you have to ask this, how? How can you do the with God life? What is it all about? And let me give you the answer. The answer of doing life with God, experiencing the with us God, it can only be experienced in one way. It's always been that way. It always is this way, and it will always be that way, and it's how. It is by faith. It's by a life of trusting. I have never seen God, but I have faith in the evidence that God is real. I have faith in the evidence that God has come to me and is continually transforming my life. But it's all a matter of faith. It's all a matter of faith. So, think about this. Jesus promised his disciples. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. But I want to be honest for a minute. You okay with that? It's not like I haven't been honest, but I just want to be confessional right now. I've been lying the entire time. Now I want to tell you the truth. That's not what I mean. Not what I mean. I just want to be confessional with you for a minute. In my honest moments, when I am honest with God, and God can always tell when you're blowing smoke, just to let you know. God knows when you and I are blowing smoke and we're faking it till we make it and we're putting on a good face and I'm super great and getting better. He knows all of that. In my honest moments, there are times that I do not feel that God is with me. And I do not feel I am living the with God life. I hope that doesn't freak you out. I hope that what you hear is, I'm just like everybody else, and I'm like the people in the Bible who were flawed people, who weren't perfect people, who weren't superheroes. They were people who had their own sense of struggle as, as well. And so let me see if I can illustrate what I mean by that feeling that might resonate with you. So in the, in the Sistine Chapel in Vatican City, Italy, I've never been there, but I have, I've seen the pictures, I've seen documentaries on, on the Sistine Chapel and magnificent murals painted by Michelangelo. And, and uh, the one on the ceiling of the Sistine, uh, not Sistine Chapel, Sistine Chapel, one on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, uh, I mean, took years for him to do, and it was arduous because his head was always up and he was painting, whether he was lying down or whether he was doing this. And it took multiple years. It was incredibly difficult for him. And believe it or not, Michelangelo thought of himself as not being much of a painter. Go figure. Here's one of the most famous painters of the world, but didn't think himself much of a painter. But when I look at this one part of the mural, I'm only going to show you a, 
a portion of it that speaks to me and, and resonates with me. It's what's been called the endowment of Adam or the, the creation. And it has God on one side and Adam on another side, these figures. And there's this one part of the picture where you see God reaching out. It's like as if God in his power is giving life to this human. And then there's Adam with this kind of like, it's like, what does that even mean? It's like apathy. It's like no life. It's, it's like whatever. God is reaching to give life. And, then, and so this is what I'm fascinated by right here. I'm fascinated by the gap that exists between the creative power and presence of God and the kind of lifelessness of Adam. And there are times I feel the gap. I feel like I know in my head that God is with me. I, I can affirm that. I believe it right up here. I've been teaching it for years. I've actually experienced an overwhelming sense that God has been with me on a number of occasions, but there are times that I also feel the gap. It feels like there's this gap between God and myself, and so I have to acknowledge that I have to bring my thoughts and my feelings and adjust it to truth, and the truth is God is with me, but I also have to honor the feelings and the thoughts that I have and say, whenever I'm feeling that, this is a great opportunity to express faith. This is where faith lives. Faith lives in the gap. That's where your faith is most alive. That's where your faith helps you to hang on. So when I don't feel it, I faith it. I trust that God is with me, even though at times it feels like God is incredibly distant. I live with Hebrews 11.1 1, in my mind. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. All that being said, I want to take you to one biblical example of a guy who experienced for the very first time in his life the with God life. He hadn't had the experience before, but in this one slice of his life, he came to understand that God was with him. The guy's name is Jacob. Jacob was more of an indoor rather than an outdoor kind of guy, probably reflective, bit, uh, like I said, indoorsy, not a criticism, it's just he differed from his brother Esau. Jacob was also a manipulator. Jacob, uh, Jacob was a trickster. He was a deceiver. And he manipulated and tricked and deceived his father in giving him the patriarchal paternal blessing instead of his older brother Esau. In their culture, the older brother, the oldest son, always got the paternal kind of blessing. It was passed on to him to inherit all of these things. And with the help of his mother, Rachel, 
Jacob tricked his dad. And let me just say this. If you've ever been in a family and you have been tricked by a sibling, it's not a good thing, right? Hello, is anybody even here? I'm the youngest of seven kids. I can tell you I have been manipulated, manipulated and tricked by my older siblings because I was younger and it didn't make me happy. But I didn't do what Esau wanted to do. Esau wanted to tear Jacob limb from limb. And so Rachel, Jacob's mom, helped him to escape. And this is where we're going to see Jacob having his first God with me, the with God life experience. He's on the run from his brother. We pick up the story here. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down it. So let's pause for just a minute. Jacob saw a stairway to heaven long before Led Zeppelin ever sang about it. The stairway was a bridge. It was a point of connection between heaven and earth, and it's this image, it's this vision to let Jacob know that, that God's dwelling isn't just up there. God's dwelling is among us here. It's not like God is detached. It's like God is coming present. He's making his dwelling on the earth. Now, follow me for a minute. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't expect people to build a ladder to God. If you go back into the Old Testament in the Tower of Babel, what were the people doing? They all united and they began to erect a tower from the earth to try and get to God. They were trying to build their own stairway to heaven. If you think about Buddhism, Buddhism is all about the noble eightfold plan, which is basically how do you get your way to heaven? Islam, it's the five pillars. Judaism, it's the 10 commandments. Hinduism, it's karma, samsara, and nirvana. Christianity says, no, it isn't about you building a ladder to God. It's about God has built a ladder down to us. He has bridged the gap between us and him because he knows we couldn't build a ladder by ourselves. We could never ascend to him. Jesus having a conversation with one of his followers called Nathaniel, and he tells Nathaniel, speaking of himself as Jesus, that he is the ladder from heaven to earth. He is the bridge between us and God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God who has come to us. God wants us to live the with God life. We do life with him by faith. He has come to be with us. Story goes on. Verse 13 through 15, the Lord was standing. This is his dream. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you were lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, 
I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done everything I have promised you. God came and stood beside Jacob in a posture of nearness, closeness, intimacy, friendship. He was close beside him. And he says, I'm going to give you three things to encourage you. At this point in time, where is Jacob? Jacob is friendless, Jacob is defenseless, and Jacob is penniless. He's out in the desert, and God says to him in his complete friendlessness, I am with you. The only person who loved Jacob at this point in time was his mom, and he's never going to see her again. He says, I will watch over you. You have nobody to protect you out here in this desolate place. I'm going to watch over you. I will be your protection, although you were utterly defenseless. And he says, I'm going to give you the land. You're totally penniless. Jacob, what's going to happen? The promise that I gave to Abraham, the patriarch, that they would be, that he would be having a, a promised land and that he would have numberless offspring and be a blessing to the world. Jacob, this blessing that came from Abraham to your father, Isaac, I now give to you. Now, God didn't say to Jacob, if you want me to be with you, if you want me to watch over you, and if you want me to bless you, that you have to build a ladder to me. No. God says, I've come to you. I have descended to be beside you. I want you to experience the with God life. I have come to be with you. And Jacob had no idea at that moment how much he was going to need God. And probably many of us right now listening don't know how much what is coming to us in the future is going to prove to us that we need God with us, and we need the with God life. If you were to simply fast forward Jacob's life from this point on, let me give you some highlights or some lowlights. He's going to face relationship challenges. He's going to experience deception. He's going to go through some business struggles. He's going to have a potentially volatile meeting with his estranged brother. He's going to have a daughter who will be raped. He's going to have his wife die during childbirth. He's going to have his kids have major sibling rivalry. He's going to have his sons lie to him about the condition of the son Joseph. They're going to say that he's dead when they really sold him into slavery and He's going to go through drought and famine, and you thought your life was difficult. And the truth is, for some of you, it really is. You're going through a difficult spell, and you need to have an experience even today knowing that God is with you. We've got some folks in our church, one in particular who can readily give witness to God has been with her through some incredibly challenging times. Her name is Karen Shields. She's been at our church since 2012. She's been a faithful servant in the creative arts area as a photographer, as a production assistant, doing graphics as well as working the cameras from time to time. She encouraged her kids, Mary and John, to get plugged in. They've been plugged in and serving as well. Karen came to faith in Jesus when she was five years old. She gave as much of herself to Jesus as she knew 
and she trusted Jesus to be her forgiver. And she says whenever her parents divorced, she kind of turned her back on God and was not living the with God life. But around the age of 30, she realized that she needed to renew her faith. She needed to live this with God life. She experienced a divorce in 2008, and she said, I've always homeschooled my children, but now how am I going to homeschool my children when I'm going to have to go out and work? And so her mother helped her do the homeschooling. She says the hardest time in her life in trusting God and believing that God was with her came in a place where she found herself always working low-paying jobs and never making enough money to ever really fully get by. There was never enough money to pay the bills and there was never enough energy left after working all she did to try and homeschool and teach her children. She said one particularly difficult time is when she had an accident at work where she broke her pelvis and her tailbone. But she said after that happened, she had one of these moments with God at camera number four, right over there. She was working camera number four, and she says, the sermon knocked me for a loop. These are her, her words. Right there, I sense God say to me, yes, you can trust me. 100% for everything. You need to take time off. You need to trust me. I will take care of you. And so she said she did. She took a step of faith. She took time off, and she said, I felt God leading me to change my vocation and to go get training to become a biblical counselor at Midwestern Seminary. Several people encouraged her to do the same thing, but she said, there is no way I can do that, although I want to, because I don't have enough money. I don't have any money to pay for this. And so she received a letter from the workman comp doctor who detailed all of her injuries and uh, her disability. And so she took that to the Missouri Vocational Rehab Social Worker, and she says, this is where I am, and this is what I want to do, and I can't pay for schooling. And she said to Karen, your education will be paid 100%. It was one of those moments, again, where she said, okay, God is with me. Gone through this difficult time, thought all hope was gone, and then God showed up and demonstrated that he was with me. And then in 2020, Karen was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer that had metastasized into a number of other areas, and she was told she had five years or less to live. And she said when the doctor left the room after that diagnosis, she was alone, and she simply prayed to this, okay, Lord, here we go. And then she said this, God has been taking care of me every step of the way. I have no fear or anxiety. I just keep looking to the Lord because I know he is with me. He's in charge and not me. She completed one semester of seminary, but had to stop after that because she had chemo brain and she, she couldn't concentrate and she was fatigued. And the social worker at North Kansas City Hospital said this, you're not going to quit. You're just going to pause for a bit. And Karen said, I love that. And that was another indication for her that God was with her. Somebody saying, you're not going to quit. You're not going to give up. You're just going to be on pause for a little bit, but you're going to come back to this. Karen looks for opportunities 
In the midst of this diagnosis, in the midst of all that she has gone through over the years, she looks for opportunities to tell people about Jesus and how Jesus died on the cross for her sin. He rose from the dead to give her life and that he is preparing a place for her. And that is really awesome, she said. And then she said this. Merle preached a message that I often think about. He said that Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then pastor went on and said, when you die, all you're going to do is walk from your current body into the presence of Jesus in heaven. And she said, I thought about that for a long time, and that's the coolest thing that helped me feel better. So when I went to the doctor not too long ago, and they told me, we are running out of options. And another doctor said, you're in a really rough spot. She said, I told them, that's okay. Jesus helps people in rough spots. He is with me. He's got a plan for me. Karen is living the with God life in incredible circumstances. Let's join Jacob's story, and we're going to get this thing to a close. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid, and he said, oh, what an awesome place this, this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So here is Jacob. Here's Jacob. And Jacob is having this experience, and I want to ask you what you think about this. It appears from Jacob's life that it is possible to be in the presence of God and not know you're in the presence of God. It's possible for that. Here he was having a moment with God, and he said, I didn't even realize that God was there and God was up to something. And maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've been going through life and you have missed the presence of God. And you're wondering, how is it possible for God to be closer than I think and me not know it? And let me tell you, from my own personal experience, there are at least three things that can lead us to not recognizing the presence of God when he is with us. One is distraction. If there's ever been a time in human history that there has been individual and collective distraction. I don't know when it was. I think it's now. I love technology. I thank God for it, and I curse the devil for it as well. Because as much as I like it, I have to confess that I am distracted by it. Distraction is on the rise, and attention is on the decline. It is like we go through our life, squirrel, squirrel, right? It's just like all of the time. And if the enemy of God can do anything that will be effective, it is to keep us perpetually distracted. Because when you're distracted, you don't hear God, or you don't think that God is present. Another thing is distortion. And what do I mean by that? Some of us think the only place to hear from God is when we're doing what we consider to be spiritual. 
I hope and pray that when we gather together in this place for one hour a week, that we are open to the presence of God and we're open to God speak to us. And I hope if you're in a community group or I hope if you're serving the Lord, you know that you're in a position for God to speak to you. But do you know when you go to work, you are in a place where God is speaking? Do you know when you drive your car to work that you are in a place where God is working and God is speaking? When you are at school, when you are at the hospital, when you are at Target, please, dear God, when you're at Target, get you out of there quickly along with Walmart. If he's in there, I don't know where he is, and so I never go. And so, what was Jacob doing when God encountered him and he had his first experience of with God? He was running away from trouble. He was sleeping. Some of you are near to God every Sunday because you are like Jacob. You are sleeping. Don't sleep while I'm talking. Stop. Stop that. What's my point? There is no place where God is not working. There is no place that God is not pursuing you and me. But because we get distorted and think only certain things are sacred, we miss God all of the time. And maybe another thing is, for me, it's doubt. And I'm not talking about doubting the existence of God. I'm talking about people like you and I that believe that God is, but we have doubts that God could ever speak to somebody like us. Because some of us have a long history. And we look back at our history and we go, man, there are so many things that I have done or so many things that I didn't do in why would God want to speak to me? I've got all of this gunk, all of this junk. I've got all of this brokenness, all of this darkness in my life. Can I remind you of something that Jacob was a deceiver? He was a manipulator. He was a trickster. And yet God came to him. And he had a with God moment. Who did Jesus come for? Did he come for the healthy, or did he come for the sick? Jesus said he came for who? He came for the sick. Jesus came for not the religious, but the irreligious. He came for not the perfect, but for the imperfect. Jesus came for people like us. And so don't allow doubt, don't allow distortion, don't allow distraction to keep you from experiencing the presence of God in your life right where you are. The with God life is an everyday experience of doing life with God and knowing that God is with you. We wrap up his story right here. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on the top of it. He anointed it and named the place Bethel, meaning house of God, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I am making, if he provides for me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my, brother, my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that God has given me, all that he has given for me. There's a sense in which Jacob's response is commendable, right? You have an encounter with God, and what do you want to do? You want to worship. 
You want to commemorate, this was a place that I encountered God. I have places in my life that if I were to take you there, I could take you to the exact spot where I sense God speaking to me. It is well. All will be well. I was looking at the collegiate mountains. I was in a, on a hill on a mountain on Divide, Colorado, when I needed God to speak to me so desperately, and he did. And I could go back there, and I could have the experience that this is Bethel. This is the house of God. This was a moment of meeting with God. Do you have places in your life where you're experiencing God. Oftentimes, Karen and I will get away, and part of our getting away is to go to a place simply to slow down, eliminate distractions so that we can take care of our soul and hopefully hear from God. Do you have those moments? Are you consciously doing that in your life? Are you putting yourself in a position for God to break in and say, I am with you? But there is also a part of Jacob's response that is not commendable. There's a part of his response that is not faith that is full-fledged in its understanding. It's quite immature. Did you notice all of the times that Jacob responded by with the word, if? God, if you'll be with me, if you'll bless me, if you'll protect me, if you'll watch over me, if you'll bring me back to this place and give it to me, then you'll be my God, and then I'm going to make a house for you here, and then I'm going to tip you 10% of everything that you have given to me. There is a sense in which something about that is wrong. Can I tell you personally, I'm uncomfortable playing the God, if you will, then I will gain. I'm uncomfortable doing that. I would prefer to say, God, because you have, I will. I want to say, God, even if you don't, I will. I don't want it to be as if the only reason I love God and serve God is because of what he'll do for me. He has already done enough. Would you agree? He's already given us life. So let me draw this, wrapping up right here. Throughout the Bible... It's like you can hear the echo of God throughout the centuries going, I am with you. And he's waiting for the echo to come back from us that says, I am with you as well. God says, I'm with you, but he wants to know, are you with me? Are you with me? If your answer to God is no, then you have made a conscious decision to live the without God life. And the without God life is characterized by aimlessness, absence of peace, confusion, joylessness. As a matter of fact, it will bring death to your soul when you say, I will do life without God. And that's not what God desires. Jesus came to be God with us, God with you, God with me, because he wants us to know something different. He wants us to choose life with God. And what is the characteristics of life with God? It's inner peace. It's contentment for your soul. It's confidence in the face of the unknown. It is direction for your life that is in the direction of doing the will of God. It is life that Paul says, life that is truly life. 
It is what Jesus said when he said, I've come to give you life and a life that is overflowing and a life that is abundant. And so here is the question. God says, I'm with you. Are you with him? Are you with him? Maybe right now you're saying, I want to be, but I never have been. And you recognize there is this gap, this distance between me and God that has never been spanned. I've never sensed the touch. I've never experienced God being with me. And you want to today, and the way that the Bible says you do it is just by simply confessing that you are separated from God, you are broken, you can't fix the gap, you can't build a ladder tall enough to get to God. You accept the fact that God has built a bridge, God has built a ladder to you, and his name is Jesus, and you entrust everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Jesus, and you say, make my life brand new. If you're willing to do that, that begins the journey of the with God life. And you can do it right where you are. It's simply a matter of faith. It always has been, and it always will be. Let's pray. You've come to be with us because you want us to have life. You want us not just to exist. You've come to us so that we don't live lives of perpetual aloneness. Our hearts are lonely. Our hearts are restless. Our soul is vacant until it finds its life, it finds its rest, it finds its comfort in you, dear Jesus. And my prayer is that we would simply say yes to this invitation to life with you. And we would do it today. And those of us who know what life with you is like, that we will simply spread that good news through our life and through our words to those who are living life without God. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. I Wow, what an incredible message today. We hope that you were so blessed by joining us through worship and through the message. And listen, the time flies, and we would love to be able to connect with you further. So would you consider going to pleasantvalley.org connect and let us know how it is you're doing. And again, we're so glad that you joined us. And wherever it is that you are, we hope that you remember that you are welcome here and that God loves you.